Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a Bit. My name is Pete, and each episode, I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. I created this podcast for a few seasons in Dutch, where it came in the top 5% most shared podcast worldwide. That's when I realized we talk about issues not only I run into, but many can identify. So here we are bringing it to a bigger audience in English. The question today is, how do I change my habits to achieve long-term success? We are a couple months into the new year and let's check in. Did you set any new year's resolutions for yourself this year? And if you did, how are they going? Because... My guess is they're probably not going too great. And that is because it's really hard to change things from one day to the next, like on January 1st. And if I really think about it, isn't it kind of absurd that we expect that from ourselves and that we put that much pressure on ourselves and in a way set ourselves up for failure? So what do we need to do instead? We need to build habits. And today's expert will tell you all about it. And um, she'll teach us how we build new healthy habits from the ground up that we can actually stick with. The facts and figures of today. Habits are the ultimate energy saver. You don't need to think about how to tie your laces each morning or how to brush your teeth or drive your car. You can think of other things while doing that. Over 70% of what we do every day is habitual. It takes, on average, around 66 days to change a habit, but the number depends largely on the kind of routine you want to change. As you write here, our amazing expert Gina is on the Gold Coast, which means there's a lot of bird action happening in the background. Just go with it. Enjoy it. Our amazing expert today is Dr. Gina Cleo. Gina is 36 years old and lives in the Gold Coast in Australia. Gina had trained as a dietitian where she noticed results were only short term. She put her clinic on hold and completed a PhD at Bond University in habit change. Through habit change, not only were her clients able to lose weight, but they were also able to keep it off. Gina's passion is teaching people to achieve long-term success through the power of habits. And I am so happy you're here, Gina. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> the very first question I always ask all of my experts is, how are your 30s going so far? I am loving my 30s. I remember when I was in my 20s and I was like, I don't want to hit my 30s. But my 30s have definitely been the best years of my life. I've got lots of travel planned. I own my dream house. Like it's just 30s. Are, I highly recommend 30s. I love that you didn't want to hit 30s, but now you're like, no, actually, they're not too bad. Do you feel the same about 40 then or... Yeah, I've got so many friends in their 40s and they're like, girl, 40s is a new 30s. Like they really love being in their 40s. So I'm no longer dreading like crossing the line to get into my 40s because I'm not really that far away from it. So I'm just going to embrace it. Yeah. Perfect. Um, some background info for our listeners. You and I share a great friend. So I've heard your name many times, but because you live in the Gold Coast and I live in Amsterdam, this is the first time we're actually meeting. And I'm not only excited to meet you because we share such a good friend, but your story is also very interesting. And I would love to talk about your clinic first. 
What kind of habits do you see in your clinic? Are they mostly diet related or are there also other diet or other habits like nail biting, smoking or any of those things? Yeah, well, when I had a clinic, I was working as a dietitian. So all of the, I guess the people that I saw were really mainly around like their eating and their lifestyle habits. Now that I've just moved into the habit space, all of the coaching that I do is online and Primarily my job at the moment is I train the trainers. So I actually teach habit coaches how to do all things habits. And so they're the ones working with clients. But what they tell me from the clients that they work with, the most common habits we're finding are things like spending way too much time on on our phones, um, drinking, not exercising, so pressing the snooze button too many times, but even things like our reactions. So being reactionary in our responses to our loved ones, or to our colleagues at work, checking emails like too many times in the day, especially in the evening when we get home, all of, all of that kind of stuff. And it seems to be the same across the globe. Wait, so even the way you respond, potentially like lash out or what your first instinct is to reply to a partner, even that's a habit? Sure is. Often when we think of habits, we think of them as just behaviors, but habits are also our thoughts. It can be our feelings, definitely our responses, but also our values uh, and the way that we think about certain things. So we know that sometimes racism is a habit or, um, yeah, like some sort of like biases can be habits because it's just a, a way that we've always thought about something and we can certainly change that. Wow. Okay. I had no idea that it was also a thought related thing. Um, I thought it was very much behavioral. So this is amazing. How does something become a habit? Habits basically work in our brain. They start off as a behavior. So all of our habits, once upon a time, start as an intentional behavior. And then when we repeat that behavior in the same place or the same time, like in the same context, essentially, our brain starts to recognize them as patterns and it creates habits. So I'll give you an example because it will help to illustrate this. Say that every time you go home in the evening, you eat a cookie and you really love the taste and texture of these cookies. The first time you've done that, your brain created a link between getting home and eating a cookie. The more times you repeat that, the stronger this link becomes in the brain until eventually the brain goes, oh, I know what happens when I get home. I go and grab a cookie. I'm going to put that in the automated part of the brain so that I can leave my conscious thinking to other things that are more important, like, you know, what to do on the weekend or what to plan for dinner, the things that we might do differently. So habits are essentially, they're learned predispositions of behavior that are associated with a certain context. So it's getting home, it's the time of day, it's the place that you're in, it's a certain emotion. And it's like, I, I call it's cue routine reward. It's called a, a habit loop. And I'll explain that further later in the podcast. But it's essentially as soon as we, our brain recognizes a habit trigger, it goes, this is what I do next. Like waking up means brushing your teeth or going to bed means that you um, might check your phone on social media. So we have these automatic responses to our environment. Wow, that's amazing. So and is it also a matter of just doing something often enough and then it, it automatically becomes a habit? 
Yeah, it's doing it often enough, but definitely doing it often enough in the same context. There has to be a trigger. So, for example, like if you exercise but do it at random times of the day and at, on random days, it's not going to become a habit so much than if you exercise, say, at 7 a.m. every day because then that becomes automatic and mindless. And you know it's a habit when, you, when it feels weird when you don't do it anymore, like when you don't have to think about consciously doing it. When you have that habit loop, what exactly happens in our brain? What's the science behind it? Basically, it's summarized by neurons that fire together or wire together. And what I mean by that is when you've got one neuron that fires and then you fire a second neuron, they become associated and they wire together. So if, for example, as a child, you got bitten by a dog, then you've got a dog neuron that fired and a pain neuron that fired. And so your brain goes, dog equals pain. And that's how we can get like a fear of dogs, for example. And that's how habits work is that our brain goes, oh, when I sit in the car, I put on my seatbelt. Or when I get up in the morning, I make a coffee. So the brain associates two things, or it could be multiple things, but minimum two things. It's a trigger and then it's the habit. And it's a neural pathway that's in our brain. It's literally like linked together. The, the more you do the habit, the stronger that link becomes. And in the same way, the less you do the habit, the weaker the neural pathways in our brain become. And so that's basically what's happening in your brain. Every habit we do gives us a reward. That's why we do it again. But sometimes the rewards that we get from the habits are not exactly what we want to get out of the habit. So say you're having dessert every night, that might not be great for like your health goals, but it does mean that you get to satisfy your sweet tooth. So there's still a reward in it. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep doing it again and again. So even um, like brushing your teeth every day, the reward is having a fresh feeling in your mouth? Exactly. It's knowing that you're doing what your parents told you to do as a child and you've got a fresh feeling and you're rewarded for it. But that's why a lot of people, for example, like might not floss their teeth because the rewards that we get from something like that we don't see instantly. We will only notice in several years' time when we don't have a bunch of cavities. But brushing, you know instantly because you know that fresh feeling. What are the most common habits in humans? Yeah, like, like I was saying before, things like scrolling on social media too much is definitely the most common one that people come to me with, especially like in the evening just before bed. Um, snacking when we're not hungry, drinking too much alcohol, pressing snooze on our phone. Um, you know, saying we'll do one thing and not doing it, you know, doing something completely different. That's, that's a pretty bad habit as well. That's pretty common. Why are habits so important? Why do they matter apart from saving energy? I, I like to describe habits as the invisible blueprint of our everyday life. Habits make up a big part of who we are. You know, up to 70% of our waking behavior is habitual. I like, I love this quote. It says, most of the time, what we do is what we do most of the time. And only sometimes do we do something different. We are creatures of habit. You know, most of the time we are operating out of this autopilot. And so often we focus on our behaviors, which is our conscious decisions. But our habits, because they make up so much of our life, they are really important to focus on because once we have a life filled with healthy habits, 
we don't have to expend lots of energy doing those great things. You can eat well, exercise often, have great sleep routine, speak nicely to our loved ones, be productive without having to expend too much willpower and self-control. And the only way to do that, as the research shows, is through habits. How do you catch a habit? Because up until I was researching this episode, I didn't realize like tying your laces or driving a car is also a habit. Um, How do you catch them that you know you want to break them? So like you're saying, I guess, how do you know, how do you become aware that it's a habit? How do you catch yourself doing that and changing it? Yeah, because habits are subconscious, right? So oftentimes, like you'll be halfway through something and you're like, hang on, I'm doing this again. And you're not really conscious of it because habits are, they're mindless, they're subconscious, they're automatic. So it's a really good question. I think just being more mindful and intentional is the first step to catching our habits or like becoming aware of our habits. So I use something called a cue monitor and it's basically just like a diary and I can send you a link for this. It's basically like a schedule and you just write in there what you're doing for the day. So it could be like, I woke up at this time, I brushed my teeth, I had a coffee, I ate breakfast, I drove to work, I got dressed, like, and you can be super detailed or you can be like less detailed about it. I've had clients who are like, I put my trousers on, my left leg first, and my right leg, because that's all <laughs> habitual. <laughs> and then you can start to see patterns emerging. And for the habits that are just neutral, like getting dressed, that's cool. You can leave them as they are. If there are good habits that are serving you and your goals, then beautiful, leave them. But if you have habits that are holding you back from achieving the life you want, they're the ones that we need to focus on and that we need to look at changing. Uh, On your website, you talk about the five key habit triggers. Can you explain those? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are five triggers that are basically, or five cues that trigger our habits, and they are the time of day, the place that you're in, your social situation, your emotional state, and your preceding action or what you've just done before. So the time of day, a really common habit for the time of day is like most people will eat lunch at midday. So they would just, oh, it's 12 p.m., we'll eat lunch. Well, at least in Australia, that's really common. Um, so that's like a time habit. A place habit could be when I sit at my desk. So when I get into the office, I have a cup of coffee. So that could be a place, like you're associating a place that you're in with doing a certain behavior. Social situation. So it's the people that we're around. I know that I've spoken to people who smoke, for example, and they say, I only tend to smoke when I'm around these people. So that's like a social situation habit. Emotional state, a really common emotional habit is like emotionally eating, emotional eating. So when you're feeling bored or lonely, you might like go out and reach for some carbohydrates or quick dopamine and some sugar. And then preceding action. So what you've just done beforehand. If you think of, say, like making a cup of tea, you we think of it as just making tea, but it's actually a sequence of lots of little habits that add up to making a tea. So when I make a tea, the first thing I do is I put on the, I turn the kettle on and then I grab a mug and then I grab a tea bag and one habit feeds off another. And it's like a chain of events. 
So that's preceding action. And, and for some other people, like, you know, there are obviously bigger things. Like when you sit in the car, you put on your seatbelt. So there are preceding action is generally a habit that you do straight after you do something else. So they are the five habit triggers. So I guess with your example of making a cup of tea, if you make a recipe that involves a lot of um, cutting vegetables or whatever, and the recipe is one that you've made a million times, so you don't need to read off of a recipe, that is completely a chain of habits. But then if you are yes. making a recipe, a new recipe, and you need to read every step, that is one where there's a lot of habits in there because you know how to dice an onion, but you still need to break it up constantly because you need to check the new step. Exactly. So you're still using a lot of mental energy, which is not automatic and it's not subconscious. It's behavior because you have to like be very intentional about reading and trying to understand what's next. But like you said, Pete, exactly. Like there are still habits within that because you know how to dice an onion. So it's this like, it's actually two parts of our brain. So we've got two forces of behavior and one is intention and one is habit. And so you have to be intentional with a new recipe and then you switch to habits when you're dicing the onion and then you're intentional to read the next step. But you don't need to do that if it's a recipe you know off by heart. So I guess also when you're making a new recipe, you can talk to a friend while you're dicing the onions, but you cannot while you're reading <laughs> the next step. And it might be when I have to uh, parallel park in the car, I'm one of those people that yeah. lowers the volume in the radio. Is that because yeah. I don't do it often enough and I cannot do both things at the same time? Well, it's because it requires a lot of concentration and every time you parallel park will be slightly different because the cars in front of you and behind you aren't going to be parked in exactly the same spot. Do you know my car does it automatically for me? Like this technology and habits merging, it's amazing. When I reverse, my car lowers my radio right down, like blows my mind. But you also see it with people who are like walking. They're walking together and they get in this really serious conversation. They'll slow down down and then eventually stop. And we ran this really fun experiment where we were walking with our study participants and we asked them to do this like mathematical equation. And as soon as they started to really think about the equation, they would stop walking. And we're like, you can, and we would keep walking and they're like back there because they're just using all their energy about thinking about this task. And that's because we've switched from habits, which we subconsciously walk to needing behavior like conscious thought. So even a habit like walking, you cannot do at the same time as needing a lot of your brain power. Some habits we can do like no matter what, um, but when it gets to us, actually, no, I take that back. When, it, when you have to use a lot of mental energy to do something, that's all you can do. That's all you can focus on. And it should be all that you're focusing on because some things require undivided attention. So even though we have this other part of our brain that can be subconscious and habitual, it's really hard to activate both at the exact same time. It's kind of more like a seesaw between them. Um, on your website, you also speak about micro habits. What are those? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Microhabits is a term that I have put to help people achieve their goals long term. And essentially what a microhabit is, it's a smaller, more achievable version of the goal that you're trying to achieve. And the reason for that is often when we want to make changes in our life, we get, I guess, stuck in a process of wanting to overhaul our life. So think of like New Year's resolutions. We want to, you know, get fit, save money, travel more, pay off our debts, start a gratitude journal, like et cetera, et cetera. But our brains are only capable of changing up to three things at once. And actually, if you just look at changing one thing at a time, you're much more likely to achieve that goal than if you're focusing on too many things. In the same way, if you're just focusing on making small changes, you're much more likely to achieve them than like bigger changes because big changes make us feel overwhelmed, make us feel defeated. We can't do them all the time because life does what life does. We're going to feel tired. We're going to be fatigued. We're going to get distracted. We're going to get busy. But if we can still do little bits of whatever our habit is, then we're continuing to, to trigger that habit loop, which is so important because habits, creating habits is all about consistency. So the more consistent we are, the stronger those neural pathways get. So this is a really long way of saying that micro habits are basically a smaller version of that big habit. So an example is, you know, if your goal is to walk 10,000 steps a day, your micro habit might be 2000 steps for the day. So I always gauge, I say to people, I want you to do this something so small that you feel like you can't say no to it. That's going to be your goal. That's your micro habit. And if you achieve that, awesome. You can do more if you want to, but your micro habit is just that, that baby part of it. So is that the, the key of building new habits, starting with a micro habit? It really is. And for so many reasons, like, you know, I mentioned that it's much easier to achieve and maintain, but also the, the number one predictor of behavioral success is something called self-efficacy, which is self-belief. And when we set ourselves up to do big things and we don't achieve them, we can get in the cycle of like anti-self-efficacy. We start to not believe in our own capability and capacity to do things. And that's actually a really detrimental place to be when we're wanting to make change. But if we're doing small things, we can achieve them. And that then makes our brain go, oh, wow, I actually did that. And that felt really good, which means I could probably do it again tomorrow and tomorrow. And you start to build self-efficacy. And that's one of the key drivers of success. So there's so many, like, and it gives you small wins. Yeah. Like we love when we've achieved something, it feels good. Our brain's like, go girl. Like that's awesome. And so it gives you the motivation to want to do it again. So, and we can really like, we can, we know we can achieve that with a micro habit. So do the micro habit. It's so good. You can build on it once that becomes like fluid and natural and automatic. So as an example of those 10,000 steps, how long, and you start with 2,000 steps, how long would it take to build up to those uh, 10,000 steps? 
every single person is different. I've worked with clients who have literally started with just putting their shoes on and that's all they did for a whole week. And then they walked out to the letterbox and then it was just walk down the road. Whereas I've had other clients who have started with 5,000 steps and they've built up to 10,000 really quickly. It's all about your own capacity and your own capability and everybody's lifestyle is going to dictate that you know, everybody is going to be different. So the, is the only way to stay motivated while you're working on new habits is just making sure that they're small increments where you keep hitting them and you kind of keep getting that dopamine hit in your brain that will make you keep going? Yeah, it's one of the best ways to get motivated. It's not the only way, but it certainly is a really good way to stay motivated. What are some other examples of staying motivated? Other examples of how you can stay motivated is doing something called mental contrasting. Mental contrasting is essentially when you visualize the benefits that you're going to get from achieving that goal. So say the 10,000 steps is a goal and you start to visualize feeling fit, getting a better night's sleep, which then helps you to concentrate more the next day. Like it's, there's like this beautiful cascade effect of benefits and it's sitting in that space and like thinking about it and meditating on it and visualizing it. Um, the other way is also to like focus on your values, your why, which comes back to that visualization. Like how is this going to benefit my life? If I continue to do this in five years time or 10 years time, what's my life going to look like? So you can really feel motivated by those things. The other thing that helps to motivate us is seeing results. We love seeing results. So that's also a great way to, to feel motivated. And we can see results just from consistency. It doesn't have to be like big, big changes. Are there other ways of creating healthy new habits? Yeah. I mean, micro habits is a tool, right? Like it's one thing that you can use to help you sustain your habits, but there are five steps to creating a new habit. And firstly, it's choose a goal. Secondly, it's think of like a small action that you can take to achieve that goal. The third one is link the, the, the action that you want to do with a trigger. So like creating that cue response association. Step four is take action. It's one thing to say you want to do something, but it's a whole nother thing to actually do it. And then step five is monitor your um, habits using something called a habit tracker. And I'll also give you some links for habit trackers because our brain goes, when we give ourselves a tick, our brain's like, oh, that felt good. I'm going to do that again. And it really helps you to stay motivated. So those are the five steps to creating new habits. It really is all about being intentional, creating a plan and linking the behavior that we want to create with a trigger in our life. Funny, the tra uh, the habit tracker, I just realized I did that for a while. I had things on there like, did I drink enough water today? 10K steps, flossing my teeth. I should probably bring that back because I'm not very regular with like flossing my teeth, for example. Water and 10,000 mm -hmm. steps is fine, but there are a couple I could probably work on. Yeah. And the research actually shows that for some people, for most people, actually, when they're using a habit tracker, they're doing their habits. And as soon as they stop using the habit tracker, they stop doing their habits 
unless those habits are really solidified in their life. So just keep on keeping on. It takes on average 66 days to create a new habit. So about 10 weeks. And after that, you probably don't need to use the habit tracker anymore, but definitely within those 10 weeks, it's really good to bring your mind into a state of mindfulness. And that's, and we do that through checking in and ticking off our habits. Well, and I'm one of those people that also loves ticking off things off a to-do list or stuff like that. So I feel like this would be even, that would be so successful for me. Oh, you are just speaking my language, girlfriend. I'm the kind of person that if I've done a task and it wasn't on my list, I will write it on my list and tick it off just because I can give myself a tick. (laughs) 100%. I'm one of those people too. Yeah, and there's there's paper-based ones, there's app-based ones. Like most people now use apps. There's heaps of apps. I've actually got an entire list of all the apps that are available and both Android and um, iPhone and it's got like the free ones or the paid ones and it's got all the features that all of these apps have. So find the one that you like. It doesn't – I don't have a favorite. My favorite is the one that you're going to use and just use it consistently. Make a habit of using your habit tracker every day. Okay, I have a rapid fire round. I have written down some of the most common uh, habits and I would love to learn mm-hmm. where to start if someone that's listening has that habit and wants to break it. So the first one okay. I'm going to ask for myself because my husband <laughs> would love it if I don't do this anymore, <laughs> which is snoozing. Yeah. He hates oh. it that I snooze as much as I do. So how can I quit that? Okay, firstly, I'm with your husband. I hate snoozing. Okay, this is a really easy one, Pete. All you need to do is you put your phone out of reach. So you need to literally put your phone somewhere you can't reach it from bed so that when it goes, when the alarm goes off, you have to get out of bed to go and turn it off. No more snoozing. And don't turn the snooze function on in the first place. Well, adding a layer of difficulty here, my... um I have like one of those wake up lights that is next to my bed. Oh yeah. I have an actual physical alarm. But you could do the same thing with that. You can just move it so that you can't reach it from bed, that you still have to get up and go and turn it off. Because once you're out of bed, it's pretty cheeky. To, you'll have to get back in bed and let it snooze again. Then you have to get out of bed. Like it's very rare that you're going to keep going in and out of bed. <laughs> Oh, but my bed's so nice and warm, especially in the wintertime in the Netherlands. <laughs> I know, but you've been in it all night. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> Those ten minutes, nine minutes, one minute. Yeah. And look, I mean, if you're waking up tired, then maybe you need to look at your sleep hygiene. Like, do you need to go to bed earlier? Do you need to, like... Like really, it's it's more like when your alarm goes off, you should be ready to get out of bed. <laughs> That's true, and even, like I often set my alarm with space for two nine minute snoozes, but instead I could have just slept all the way through until I actually have to get up. Like I'm one of those people. Yeah. I have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) See, if I have to wake up early, like I'm a morning person anyway, so I'm obviously really biased in this conversation, but say I've got to get up extra early. I will put my alarm on at the very last second that I need to wake up. So as soon as that alarm goes off, I'm like up out of bed. I don't have another minute to spare. 
Okay, that's uh, that's what I can work with. All right, I'm gonna try. This. I'm gonna move my alarm <laughs> to another spot in the room, and I can. I have to make sure that there is no time to snooze. Yeah, yeah. And your husband can thank me later. Okay. All right. Second one is smoking. I quit smoking when I moved to New Zealand, which was a very hectic decision. Of course, like I didn't move to New Zealand to quit smoking, but I did figure all of these trigger points that I have back home of where I'd smoke is kind of what you mentioned earlier. You're with a group of people, you're in a particular spot, I'm waiting on the tram, or I was on a break at uni, like all of these things. I figured moving and not having these, yeah, these trigger moments in New Zealand built up yet is a perfect moment to quit smoking. So I had my last cigarette at the airport on my layover. But not everyone can just move to the other side of the world. So what's a good first step to quit smoking? Yeah, it's so interesting you gave that example because research does show that the most dramatic behavioral changes happen when we move country, move jobs, move house, because we no longer have all those triggering environments. So if you're not radical enough as Pete to actually move countries, then have a look at what is, where are you when you're smoking? Is it the 9am coffee that you're having on the balcony? Is it uh, lunchtime when you're standing outside? Like identify your triggers and Smoking is a little bit unique because there's both the habitual aspect of it, but there's also a nicotine addiction aspect of it. So I'm going to talk about the habitual aspect of it. By recognizing your triggers, you've got two options. Either one, you say, okay, it's 9am. This is the time that I want a cigarette. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to do this. And you actually plan another habit that you're going to do that literally prevents you from smoking. So keep your hands busy, walk, like do something, try not to be in that same environment around that time. So that's the first one, or actually that's two in one because the two ways you break a habit is firstly, you change the routine. So you still have the same trigger, you change the habit, or you avoid the trigger altogether. Because if we don't have a trigger, then there's no habit. The habit loop doesn't actually get activated at all. So if you know you're triggered at a certain time or a certain place, try to avoid that environment and be busy with something else. If you can't avoid that trigger, you need to anticipate it's coming and literally say to yourself, all right, nine a.m. is coming. I know I'm going to really crave a cigarette. This is what I'm going to do instead. And this is how I'm going to feel for not smoking. And I'm going to be super proud of myself. What about biting nails? Biting nails is an interesting one because it often starts with like and an, you're trying to regulate anxiety. That's generally how it starts. And then as you get older in life, it just becomes what you do. You can use things like the nail polishes, but it's, and it's the same process as quitting smoking. Recognize your triggers. When are you doing it? Then why are you doing it? I would get really mindful with nail biting. Write down the kinds of things that you get out of it. Like what are some of the benefits of nail biting and what are some of the not so good things about nail biting? Really break it down. And it sounds weird for someone to be like, what's good about nail biting? Because you probably won't come up with a whole lot of things, but your list of why you don't want to bite your nails is going to be way longer. And then you realize that you're not acting out of your values. You're actually doing something that doesn't align with what you really want. And that can be extremely motivating. Okay. Snacking. 
Oh, snacking. Well, are we saying snacking when you're not hungry? Because I'm a big snacker. Yes, that's what we're saying. <laughs> okay, snacking when you're not hungry. Phew. Okay. <laughs> snacking when you're not hungry. Um, okay, firstly, it's it's much better to not have the snacks around. If that's not possible, then be mindful. Again, it all comes back. Like breaking habits is all about mindfulness. When are you doing it? Why are you doing it? And what can you do instead? So just why am I snacking? When am I snacking? Is that, I'm, Am I actually bored? Okay, if I'm bored, then I'm going to go entertain myself by playing on the Xbox or like watching a funny YouTube or calling a friend because that's going to give me what I'm really seeking. So as soon as you get the urge to snack, just stop, have a mindful moment, big deep breath and go, what am I actually needing in this moment? And serve your body better by giving it what you really want. Not going to bed on time. So firstly, you want to set an alarm half an hour to an hour before the time that you actually want to get to bed. Once that alarm goes off, I would recommend all technology is turned off. That's when you start your bedtime routine. Brush your teeth, have a shower, get dressed. All of those things need to happen. And you just need to put your technology away. Don't have it near you and be like, oh, I'm not going to look at my Instagram. Because you are, because that's what you, the habit that you have is. So you just need to radically change things and set an alarm to do it. Don't tell yourself that you'll do it and depend on your self-control because that's really hard to do. As soon as that alarm goes off, Treat it like a Pavlo's theory where it's like alarm equals technology off and bed routine starts. And that's just how you do it. And get yourself in bed. Not drinking enough water. Not drinking enough water is really common. Okay, so you'll see like on my desk, I always have a glass of water next to me. If that glass of water is not there, I'm not going to drink. I'm actually really bad with drinking water as well. So attach your water to moments in your day. So I will have a glass after every meal. So that's already like, well, like five because there's snacks as well. So there's like five glasses there. And then, <laughs> hey, don't fat shame me. <laughs> and then, I and will might, not. Absolutely not. I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> so you just set like, or you could do it at like times of day. So you can say like, when I wake up, I have a glass, breakfast, I have a glass, lunch, like, et cetera, et cetera. So again, like set it to times of the day. The other thing that you can do is, a couple of clients might have done this and it's been really effective is you log your cups for the day, like how many you've had. And if by halfway through the day, you're not halfway through like how much water you should be drinking, then it beca you become more mindful, right? So you start to ramp it up. It's like, okay, I need to be mindful about drinking more water. So again, an alarm can be something or a reminder on your phone can be really good. But, you know, all of this talk about alarms, you know, it sounds like I'm like wanting you guys to be robots and just have alarms all day. I don't mean that at all because once you get in the habit of doing this stuff, you don't need the alarms anymore. It's just to get you started with the habit. What about procrastinating? Oh, okay. Procrastinating has multi-layered. It's a multi-layered factor. Oftentimes when we're procrastinating, it's because the task that we want to do is too big. It's too scary. We don't believe that we can actually achieve it. So that's the first step that we've got to look at. Is this task actually achievable? And am I thinking too big picture with it? So you want to break down the task into micro habits or micro steps and then trick yourself. Say to yourself, I'm just going to do this one thing today. Okay. And then last one, swearing. 
You know, I have a theory about swearing. I think swearing is more of a behavior. And the reason I say that is when you're around, say, your parents or you're at a church or you're at work or somewhere professional, you turn your swearing right off. And then you turn it back on again when you're not in those environments, which means that you have some level of mindfulness around swearing. Now, that might not be the case if you like stub your toe or like you hit your finger under a hammer. You might throw out a big F-bomb without realizing it then. But I think within the context of a conversation, I actually think swearing is mostly mindful and conscious. I think you're right. Yeah, most people can, including me, can turn it off when the, when I have to. Yeah, exactly. I've never sworn in front of my parents. I uh, I cannot say that, but <laughs> I won't do it. <laughs> like if I'm in an office. <laughs> All right, my very last question to every expert is if you could give the listeners one takeaway, what would it be? I'm going to say 3 but they're three small ones. (laughs) Okay. Start small, be consistent and use a habit tracker. All right. I, that's a great one. Um, you spoke about the Q diary and the habit tracker and a list of apps that you like. We'll make sure to put that on the website, um, 30 and a bit.com. So people have a look there. Other than that, you've got a program on your website, which is online that people can just purchase, right? I do. Yeah. So I run habit courses because uh, as you probably have picked up, I haven't shut up talking about habits since I started researching it over 10 years ago. So I have, you know, there are only about five habit researchers in the world and I have such an honor and privilege to be able to bring the research to everyday people. So I have two different habit courses. One is for everyday people and one is for coaches that actually want to help other people with their habits. And I also have a free habit course on my website too. So it's five days. If you just want to get a taste test and learn a bit more about yourself, you can jump online and do the free habit course. And what's your website? It is drginacleo.com. And that's also your Instagram handle, right? Yeah. G-I-N-A-C-L-E-O. Perfect. Everyone go follow, go check out the website and go check out 30andabit.com for um, the extra material we just spoke about. Gina, thank you so much for being here. I had such a good time, really, just talking to you about this this subject. I think there were so many amazing takeaways and um, I learned a lot. I learned so much. There are so many more things that are habitual than I was aware of. Oh, thank you so much, Pete. I love chatting to you and it's so good to finally connect. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. I hope to meet you in person <laughs> soon. You. Yes. Hell yeah. Come to Australia. <laughs> Well, I'm in Australia quite a bit because Oscar is Australian, but I'm never ah. on the Gold Coast. I've never been. Ah. Oh, it's the best. Don't tell me you just go to Sydney. Oh, yeah, kind of. No, that doesn't <laughs> even count as Australia. <laughs> oh, if you're on the Gold Coast, you know who to, who to catch up with. <laughs> 100%. 100. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to having you again. Please, please leave a five-star review. This is so important for podcasts to grow. You can follow us on at 30 and a bit on Instagram and TikTok, and I'll see you next week. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.